The shocking statement of Jesus, uh, the he said what of today is in our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 13. And it's response to a question that is asked of Jesus. Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Uh, the first thing that maybe comes to mind is why would a person ask this question? Well, think about what's going on here. This is year three of Jesus' ministry. It's very near the end of his time here on earth. And for three years, Jesus has gotten to nearly, if not every town and village, and he's taught. And he's taught with power as one sent from God. And he's done miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, there must be so much proof that this is the Messiah, but yet, they look around and say, where are all the people? It's as if this person is saying, how do these people not know, Jesus, that you are the Messiah that was promised, that you are the one who has come to bring forgiveness, life, and salvation? Lord, are only a few going to be saved? It's a valid question, isn't it? At this point, a lot of people have left Jesus because he's taught some really hard things that they couldn't accept. There was a time of popularity where the crowds really swelled, but, but now it, they've thinned out a lot. Uh, the religious leaders, for the most part, have rejected him. You're not the kind of Messiah we're looking for. We want someone to come and restore the kingdom of Israel to us, to come and bring peace and prosperity to us here on earth. That's not what Jesus was offering. And these religious leaders had already for some time been trying to find a way to get rid of him. And they've been stirring up the people, telling them, this isn't the Messiah. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. The guy gets his power from Satan. You don't want anything to do with him. The crowds have thinned out very near the end of Jesus' ministry here. And so we understand why someone would ask him, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? It's a valid question, isn't it? Even to ask today? Because look around. Look at Europe, for instance. The beautiful, big cathedrals that basically are museums now. Look at our nation. Do you know that 25% of our nation's population, one quarter, claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. 25%. Maybe you look around this church, and you think for the most part it's half empty most Sundays, or if you're an optimist, half full. Where is everybody? Right? Maybe you think of people who sat right in these pews with you, who because of the pleasures or the problems of life, have wandered away from Jesus. Maybe you think of friends or even family members who have denounced Christ, maybe not verbally, but, but spiritually. They've walked away from him. You look around and it's real easy to ask that question, isn't it? Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Jesus answers the question, maybe not directly, right? But he gives an answer to the question. And, and at first, the question he, or the answer he gives, maybe doesn't make us feel so good. 
This is what he says. He says in, in verse 23, he says, uh, Someone asked, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Yikes. <laughs> what Jesus is saying is, there are many people who want to be saved. There are many people who will try to be saved, but many will not. Because the door to heaven is narrow. Why is this so challenging for us? Why does this make us feel so uncomfortable? Let's be real about it. It's because by nature, we want our goodness and what we do to count for something, right? We want the door to heaven to be wide open. Maybe you hear people say, and maybe you agree with them once in a while, that you know, if God is so kind and he's so good and he's so loving, why wouldn't he just accept everyone and let everyone into heaven with him? Right? It, 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 it's our nature to think that that goodness that, that people have has to count for something to God, right? I mean, my, my neighbor, he's an atheist, yeah, but, but man, he's a really nice guy. I, I mean, he's, he's willing to help, lend a hand whenever I need help. That's got to count for something, right? Or, or my Mormon co-worker. I mean, she's, she's so truthful and honest and, and hardworking. That's got to count for something, right? Or my agnostic friend who, 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 who believes that Jesus was a really good guy, that he taught a lot of good things, and he's someone we should model our life after. He's a good example for us to follow, and she does. I mean, she is kind and compassionate and forgiving way more than a lot of Christians I know. That's got to count for something, right? You see, it's our nature to think that our goodness, the things that we do in this life, got to count for something to God, right? And that opens the door just a little bit wider. It's the way our world operates, isn't it? If you work hard, you, you, you earn something, right? If you do good, good things should come back to you, right? It's the way our brains work. And it's the way our hearts naturally think. Right? It's even a struggle inside of us, isn't it, right? If I just do these things, right? If I go to church, if I give my offerings, if I, if I help out somebody who's in need, if I talk nicely to my wife, if I spend time with my kids, right? If I listen to K-Love rather than classic rock, if I, if I use my hand to wave and smile rather than do what I want with it when someone cuts me off, right? If I, if I do these things, God's got to be pleased with them, right? They got to count for something, Right? Jesus says, if you try to fatten yourself up with your good deeds, with your kind of righteousness, you're not going to fit through the narrow door. Right? If you think that you can get through carrying all of your trophies and all of your accomplishments and all of these good, wonderful things that everyone notices, you're not going to get through the door. Jesus says many are going to try to do it that way. Many are going to try to be saved that way because that's the way we think by nature. It's what every major religion besides Christianity teaches. And even, unfortunately, some parts of Christianity teach it. 
that it's what you do to earn favor with God. If you want to be loved by God, accepted by God, be with God, then do what is good and right. And maybe God will be pleased with you. This is challenging to us because it challenges the way our world thinks and what our world tells us and even what our own human hearts say to us. Jesus uses a parable to describe this a little farther. He says in verse 25, Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is saying, you know, there's going to be a day when that narrow door, it closes. And everyone who's inside is going to be like, what's going on? <laughs> How come I'm on the outside? How come I'm not on the inside? Right? And they're going to knock. And maybe knock harder and start pounding and pleading, sir, let us in. And the owner of the house is going to say, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. And that's just going to cause them to knock all the harder. But, but we knew you. And we listened to you. And we ate drank with you. Come on, how can you say that we don't know you and you don't know us? And a second time, the owner of the house says, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. And then he adds, away from me. Away from me, you evildoers. The word here... Uh, Jesus uses that's translated evildoers in, in our text here it is really what it, what it really is saying is is those who do unrighteousness those who lack righteousness who do what is unrighteous instead of righteous so what he's saying is those who are going to be standing on the outside those to whom that door to heaven is closed are those who think that they have what it takes to get in all by themselves to think that their righteousness gets them in. But Jesus says, no. The owner of the house is going to say, I don't know you. Away from me. You who do unrighteousness. You who want to cling to your own goodness, to your own righteousness. Who think that you deserve to be inside because of what you did. Jesus goes on. He says, there, outside of that house, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. Jesus uses this phrase a number of times in the Gospels, this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And what Jesus is talking about here is Eternity outside of that house. An eternity apart from God. And there he says there's weeping. There's great sadness. Because those outside chose to look to themselves. That they thought they could make themselves right with God by what they did. 
He says there, there will be gnashing of teeth. That, that, that's the picture of anger. There's going to be anger at themselves because they chose the way that they did. And he says, those standing outside, they're going to be weeping and gnashing their teeth. And they're going to look inside. And who are they going to see in there? They're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets. So what is Jesus talking about? Remember who Jesus was talking to here originally. Someone comes and asks him this question. Then he speaks this to everyone else there. And, And so there's some of these people standing there around him who think that it's my righteousness that gets me into heaven. What I do here on earth gets me good with God. His own people, right? We heard it in our second lesson from Romans. Paul is is lamenting that that his people, from whom the promised Messiah came, rejected him, right? He says, theirs are the patriarchs, right? They have the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they have the prophets, that spoke this word of God to them, that told them about the coming of the Messiah. But what did they do? They decided to cling to their own righteousness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those at Jesus' time and for those of our time as they stand outside and look in because they don't have what it takes to get in. that they don't have what it takes to get in. So what is it? Don't you want to know? (laughs) What does it take for me to be on the inside, to make it through that narrow door? That's why Jesus tells us to make every effort. Make every effort, he says, to enter through that narrow door. The, the Greek word there for, for make every effort that Jesus uses is agonizomai. Agonizomai. Can, can you guess what English word we get from that? Agonizomai? To agonize. To, to, uh, it, it's a word that, that um, was used in sporting competitions. Agonize. Struggle. Fight. To win. Give absolutely everything to reach the finish line and win. Jesus says, if you want to be on the inside, if you want to make it through that narrow door, agonizomai. So what is it? What is that struggle? What is that fight? What is that make every effort, that agonizing that Jesus calls us to? A little later in the Gospel of Luke, it's a couple chapters later, Jesus tells another parable. And Luke says that he, he... teaches it, it tells it to those who were confident in their own righteousness. Those who thought that they were good with God because of what they did and how they lived. And he says, this is what agonism I looks like. It looks like a man who doesn't come before God and say, well, I've been a pretty good boy. I've tried my hardest. I've done my best. Look at all these things I've done for you, God. Instead, he comes before God, a man broken, a man contrite, a man who knows that he has nothing to offer to God, and he can't even look up to heaven, but beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Friends, agonizomai, this struggle, 
looks like despairing of yourself in realizing there is nothing good that resides within me. That all my righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags. That there's nothing I can do to make up for all the bad that I have done. No, no amount of good can ever take that away. That everything I do before God is tainted with sin. Absolutely everything. A life of agonism I looks like despairing of ourselves and crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus knows this is hard for us. He knows. He, he knows our sinful flesh. He knows how, how it wants to hang its laurels on our, our own goodness and point out all the good things we've done. He knows the struggle that we have as we listen to the lures of the world that says, your worth and your value is based on your performance, on what you do. He knows how Satan loves to come to us and in one moment whisper in our ear, oh, you're a pretty good person, right? And puff us up in self-righteousness. But then the next minute, he's right there to tell us what a terrible person you are. How could God love somebody like you? Jesus knows. And that's why he says, agonizomai, struggle. Struggle to enter through that narrow door. You want to be inside that house. It's worth it. It's worth striving for. It's worth dying for. And that's why he came. To agonizomai for you. Right at the beginning of our lesson, did you catch, I didn't want to skip over that, but do you catch what, what's happening? It says Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's not going there to take on those self-righteous Pharisees once for all and destroy them. He's going to Jerusalem to take your self-righteousness to a cross once for all. He is going there to agonizomai for you. To struggle, to fight for you. That on that cross, as he was forsaken by his father, he was standing outside, banging on the door, saying, Father, let me in. And the father said, I don't know you. Because on that cross, he was covered in our unrighteousness. He was covered in our sin. And God the Father looked at him and said, No, I can't let you in. Away from me. On that cross, Jesus struggled and he fought for you. And he fought the devil and he won the victory. So that through him, you might become the righteousness of God. That through what he did at that cross, you might have victory. That you might know that the struggle's already been won. And as we sing in the Te Deum, that on that cross, Jesus opened up the kingdom of heaven to all believers. That's the difference, isn't it? You know, as, as Christians, we are, are leveled sometimes as being closed-minded, as being narrow, as being exclusive, right? You say there's only one way to heaven, right? How, how are you? How dare you say that? 
How dare you say there's only one path to God, right? And that's where we get this idea of religious pluralism in our world, right? That, that it's every, every religion is just a path to the same God, right? That, that, that we're, you can't be exclusive. But you see what happened at the cross is not exclusive. It's for all. At that cross, Jesus suffered and died for the sins of not just the few, but for all, All sins were paid for at the cross. Because God wants all to enter through that narrow door. God wants all to be on the inside. God doesn't want anyone pounding on the outside. That's why he provides what we need to get in. Righteousness. Not of our own, but the righteousness of Christ. His holiness. His perfect life lived for you. Right? His innocent death for you. So that God can look at you and say, you got what it takes. Nothing inside of you, but everything that Christ has already done for you. Jesus here in this parable is using a picture that that he often uses. This picture of a banquet. uh, This feast, right? And we talked a couple weeks ago in in, in our sermon that, that, that this is a picture that's often used of heaven, both in Old Testament and New Testament. Right? There's this feast that's waiting for us where we will have everything we need. Nothing will be lacking. We'll be with God forever. Right? He says here that, that there's going to be many there. He says people will come, verse 29, people will come from east and west and north and south and they will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. All those who cling to Christ and to Christ alone for their righteousness and their salvation will be there at that feast. And you want to make sure you're on the guest list, don't you? You want to make sure you're in. You want to make sure that you have a place there reserved for you, don't you? Of course you do. And that's why Jesus says, agonism, struggle. Cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I cling to the righteousness of Christ alone. Cling to him who has done everything perfectly already for you. Because Jesus is that narrow way into heaven. Jesus is that door through which we are able to enter. Without him, you have nothing. Those who are without him will be banging on that door outside. But for those who have Christ and know Christ and cling to Christ and Him alone, you have everything. The promise, the joy, the peace, the place at that feast reserved for you. And this is so backwards, isn't it? This is so not the way we think. This is not the way the world operates. This is, goes against everything that our hearts tell us, right? And that's why Jesus says right at the end, right? Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And first, who will be last, right? Jesus says, yeah, <laughs> this is completely backwards to, our, to your way of thinking. But thank God for that. Because without this, you have no hope. But with Christ, you have everything. Your friends, make sure you're on that guest list. Listen to Jesus' plea daily. Agonism, my struggle. Right? Hold on to Christ and unto him alone, right? Plead for mercy every day. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Crucify my self-righteous ways at that cross. Right? Raise me to be something new. Give me your robes of righteousness. Let me cling to you alone for my forgiveness and my life and my salvation. Let me despair of myself and cling to you. And hold on to what your God promises to you. Place at that feast. Because of Christ, you are on that guest, on that guest list. And because of him alone, you'll be welcomed into that house. It's because of Christ that you will never hear your father say to you, I don't know you. But because you know him and he knows you, you are welcomed with open arms. Through faith alone, cling to the completed, full, satisfactory work of Christ. By grace alone, realize this is This is an invitation that you don't earn, you don't deserve, but it's yours. Because God loves you and wants you to spend eternity with him. It's all yours through Christ and through Christ alone. This is a message we have to share with the world. We know the narrow way. We know the way into heaven. We know the way to that feast. God wants everyone to know. We have the privilege, we have the honor to go and to share the way, the truth, and the life. We have the blessed privilege to go and to share the narrow way. Cling to Christ. Cling to him alone. Through him, the Father loves you. Through him, you are righteous in his sight. Through him, you have a place at the feast. Amen.